through 6 this morning. While the young people are dismissed uh, to the back, they'll be in their own classes this morning. Uh, good to see each and every one of you that braved the elements, made it to church this morning, and grateful for you. 2 Kings chapter 6. <coughs> Have you ever uh, seen something but not seen it? I've, uh, or, or maybe only seen what you're looking to see? I've got two pictures uh, to show you this morning for the benefit, uh, actually, for the wives in the room, if you'll throw the first picture up. This is when you uh, send your husband to the refrigerator to get the milk. Honey, it's not here. I don't see it. Anybody experienced that before? Sure. Uh, Husbands and wives. But the problem is later that same day, you're driving down the road and you see, and if you can have the next picture here, and then he says, honey, do you see those three deer? You ever been there? Do you see them, by the way? You don't see them, do you? I, next picture will show you. I circled it so it help you see where they're at, okay? But uh, sometimes we're blind and we don't even know it. We, we, uh, we only see what we want to see. And uh, quite frankly, wives, I'll just give you a little secret. The reason we don't see the milk is we don't care that much about the milk. But we do like the deer, Amen. That's what we're looking for. I want to talk today for a few minutes on spiritual blindness. And there's a neat story here I want to look at in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse number 8. is where we're going to begin reading. The Bible says, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the men of God said unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware thou that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent him to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there, not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. He called his servants and said to them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, (coughs) the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. In other words, what's happening inside your uh, control room, God's telling the prophet. And he said in verse 13, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and great hosts, and there came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And a servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the the Lord, saying, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. And it came to pass, when they were coming to Samaria, that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And the king of Israel said unto Elisha, when he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? And he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. What a story. I want to talk to you today. I, was once, I once was blind, but now I see. Father, I pray you'd help us this morning 
as we look at this story and other passages in Scripture and gain an understanding about spiritual blindness. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Before we get into the message of this story, I want to just bring up something in the New Testament that's a neat neat thought for us. Uh, It's a fascinating exchange between John the Baptist and Jesus found in Matthew chapter 11. John the Baptist was in prison. Uh, He was going to be beheaded, didn't know that yet, but he was in prison, rotting away, and uh, he was hearing all that Jesus was doing, and yet nothing was being done to free him. And so he got a little discouraged, and he sent messengers to Jesus, and this is the question he asked. Art thou he that should come, or should we look for another? Jesus answered the men, and sent, or, or he took, sent an answer back to John. He, uh, go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached unto them. And it's interesting that Jesus would point to those miracles because they are representations of how God's salvation works. Yes, Jesus did heal the physically blind, but Jesus came to make those see that are spiritually blind. Yes, Jesus did raise the physically dead, but did he not come to really raise the spiritually dead? And yes, he did help the poor, but he really came to restore the spiritually poor. I'm going to look at this story today, and it's just a tremendous story uh, about sight and blindness and some of the things that we can learn from it. The gift of spiritual sight, the condition of spiritual blindness, and how it can be healed. Let's look at the story. Uh, We've read it, but I just want to bring it down to where we are and explain what's going on here. You have a king, and he was making war against Israel. Now, naturally, he told his captains and his lieutenants where they would be and where the attacks would take place. But every time they showed up to a certain place to attack Israel, where he knew they were, they weren't there anymore. Because every time he made those plans, God let Elisha the prophet know where the king of Syria would be. And so Elisha would let the king of Israel know, hey, this is where they're going to be. You don't want to be there. That's where they're planning to attack. And so then the king would send his courier to the army. Do not be in place X because that's where the attack's going to come from. And evidently this happened over and over and over. The Bible says it happened more than once, more than twice. Imagine the frustration of the Syrian king. He would move all his troops over here because Israel was encamped here and so he would get ready for attack and they would rush out to attack and nobody was there. And they did this over and over and over again. God would tell Elisha, Elisha would tell the king of Israel and they wouldn't be where they were supposed to be. This made the king of Syria furious. Obviously, obviously he had a spy in the midst and so he asked the question because after all, how else could the Israelite army know what was going on? They were getting intel. It's obvious they were getting his intel. He just didn't know how it was happening. So he asked the question in verse 11, basically, which one to use the mole? Somebody here is letting out the secret. Somebody is leaking it to CNN. All right, somebody's letting somebody know. That's what he was basically saying. And so he asked that question. Evidently, one of the servants had been talking to someone on the Israelite side, and they knew what was going on, and they said, Listen, king, what's happening is there's a man of God who is telling them all our moves before they happen. And so the king decided to turn the tables. He's going to go out and spy on Elisha and snatch him up. Uh, And the report came in. Uh, He's in Dothan. And so (coughs) off to Dothan they went with an army to kidnap Elisha. They got there during the night. The city was asleep. The next morning when the city people started to get up, they would open their doors and they would step outside. They saw that their city was surrounded by the Syrian army. Oh, that would have terrified them and panicked them. 
they, they uh, started to, as they started to panic, one of the people that did so was the servant of Elisha. He came running in, Elisha, Elisha, the Syrians have surrounded us. And he asked the question, alas, my master, how shall we do? I think that question's hilarious. He's so excited, he can't even get the words right. How shall we do? And what follows is perhaps the strangest conversation you see in the Bible. It's, it's amazing. Elisha answers, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Well, he looks again out and sees the soldiers that are around. The Bible says chariots and, and there was weapons and, and this big army surrounding the city. Shut up, Siri. Uh, this army surrounding the city. And all these, and, and he looks and he says, hey, I am worried about it. How can you be so calm? I mean, look, the army is moving in. And Elisha says, there's more of us than there is of them. <laughs> now he knows he's went crazy. He looks around, uh, the people that are in the city, there's no, they're not warriors, they're not soldiers, they're all fighting. Uh, here you have men, women, and children. Nobody's ready to fight. And there you have a, an army that is coming in to attack. And uh, now the servant knows that Elijah has lost his marbles. You know how maddening it is for you to be all freaked out about something and then somebody else is calm? Drives you crazy, doesn't it? There seems to be a hint of exasperation in verse number 17 when Elisha says, Lord, ah, open his eyes. And God does open his eyes, and he saw a tremendous army on their side. The mountain is full of horses and chariots and of fire around Elijah, Elisha. Now as the Syrian army approaches, Elisha, who had just prayed for one person's eyes to be opened, he says about the army, smite this people with blindness, and God does. Here they are, stumbling around, trying to figure out what's wrong. And can you imagine the confusion? Hey, hey, I just went blind. And he's feeling his buddy, and his buddy says, hey, I just went blind too. And there's just kind of a panic and madness going through, and Elisha steps up on a milk crate. Hey, attention, attention. Gets them all quieted down. Hey, what are you, what are you guys seeking for? Who are you looking for? We're seeking Elisha. And Elisha says... Well, listen to the sound of my voice, follow me, and I'll lead you to him. But he doesn't, <coughs> he doesn't lead them. Uh, he, what, what he does do is then lead them to Samaria, which is the capital city, which is the, one, or, or the central city where the Jerusalem army or the uh, Israelite army is. He takes them to Samaria, right in the middle of their army, and then he again says, Lord, now open their eyes, and God does. They found themselves in the middle of the enemy camp. Now the king was excited, king of Israel, and he asked Elisha, can I kill him? And Elisha says, no, you can't kill him. You're going to cook him dinner. Cook him dinner? Cook him for dinner? But no, he says you're going to cook him. Don't read your Bible. Isn't that amazing? He, he leads these blind soldiers into their camp. The king says, can I kill him? No, you can't kill him. You're going to cook him dinner. And he does. He cooks them a feast. And then they <clears throat> went back home. He turns them loose after they eat, like we're going to do today, have a feast. And then he afterwards turned them loose. They went back home and didn't attack Israel anymore. What in the world is going on with this story? Isn't that the strangest story you've ever read? Now, 
the uh, gift of spiritual sight. We learn about the gift of spiritual sight from the first two scenes in this story. The king of Syria is at war with Israel, and Elisha is given divine insight, or you could say spiritual sight, about where the battle was going to take place, and he was able to warn the king of Israel. So every time that Syria would try to make a move, the king of Israel knows about it. This enraged the king of Syria, and this made him look for a mole, and they said, hey, it's not us, it's the man of God. He sends out SEAL Team 6 after Elisha, and the second scene is, opens, and Elisha's in the city. His servant sees the army coming in. They're all scared, they're petrified, and we have the first of two prayers that Elisha prays in verse 17. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. So what we have here, the servant of Elisha could see physical reality, but he could not see spiritual reality. He could see the physical forces, but he could not see spiritual forces. He could not see that those with us are more than those with them. All right? He could only see the physical. In other words, spiritually, he was blind. Blindness in the Bible is always an impaired ability to recognize the truth. That's really all blindness is. If you are physically blind, then you are not able to recognize your physical environment. There may be obstacles in your path, but you can't see them because you are blind. To be spiritually blind is that means that we have an inability to see what is spiritually around us. That's why in the Bible... Physical blindness always represents spiritual blindness. In fact, physical sightedness. Getting physical sight back is, represents getting spiritual sight. Here's an example for you, Luke, or John chapter 9. Jesus heals a blind man and who had been blind from birth. He didn't just leave it at physical healing, though. Uh, he also leads him to faith, giving him spiritual sight. The Pharisees are upset about the whole thing, and they come to Jesus and complain about it. And so the, he says in John 9, 39, to them, for judgment I came into this world that they which see not might see and they which see might be made blind. And there was a great contrast right in front of them. Here you have this man who had been born blind. Now he had physical sight and he had spiritual sight. And here you have the Pharisees who were blind as bats, spiritually speaking. You see that contrast in scripture. Now what do we learn from the story in our text? The verses here show us that spiritual sight, that's the ability to see your spiritual surroundings, is a gift of God because it is not natural. It is not natural for us to see what's going on around us spiritually. Look at the soldiers. They have been marauding, pillaging, raping, killing, enslaving, doing all these terrible things. Now they're coming to destroy the city and, <clears throat> and capture the prophet of God. And they're struck with physical blindness which is basically an evidence, again, a showing that they're spiritually blind. Yet here's Elisha's servant. He knows God. He's a God follower. He knows the truth. He's on the right side. Yet he can't see either. He's blind as well. The truth is, friends, we're all spiritually blind. There are nice people and there are nasty people. There are moral people and there are immoral people. All of us, to some extent, 
are spiritually blind. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18 talks about our natural state when it says, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. We are all naturally blind to spiritual realities. In John chapter 3, uh, the chapter is about Nicodemus, who's a moral, upright, Bible-believing type man. And Jesus told him, you must be born again. In John chapter 4, you have a woman. She is immoral. She is not a Christian. She's uh, basically one step above a harlot. And yet, Jesus tells her the same thing. They both needed to be born again. They both needed the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. Because no matter whether we're good or no matter whether we're bad, we are all spiritually blind. Need Christ. That's why spiritual sight is a gift. It has to be a gift because we don't have it naturally. Let me explain maybe a little further here in the misconception that many people have of Christianity. Becoming a Christian is not turning over a new leaf. It is not just working harder and doing more. It is not an extension of the things you are already doing. It's not saying, I'm going to shape up. I'm going to live the way I ought to live. I'm going to do better than I have before. No, it's really more like a whole realm of reality that you never even knew that existed. That's why Bible metaphors help us so much to understand. And this, uh, this metaphor of blindness certainly does that. Think of a person that was born blind. Blind his whole life. I don't know if you've ever known somebody that has been blind or spent time with somebody who has been blind their whole life. I spent a little time with an evangelist that, that used to come and preach for us. He was a blind evangelist, and, and I was able to talk to him about some of the things he was going through. But imagine a blind person who cannot understand color. As, and uh, so he says this to you. I've been hearing people talk about colors, and I've been thinking about this. And so I have a question. Is red more like the sound of a singing bird or more like the feel of tree bark? Those of us who see here, uh, no, neither. It's nothing like either one of those things. Because sight is not an extension of feeling or hearing. Sight is its own thing. You cannot perceive what sight is through those other things. Sight allows you to perceive realities that you cannot uh, gather unless, or, or by touching and hearing and those things. There's no way for you to understand what color is until you see it. A lot of people think that becoming a Christian is basically an extension of what they are already doing. Okay, I've got to listen to all the Ten Commandments. I've got to obey the Ten Commandments. I've got to do what God says. I've got to obey what the Bible says. I've got to pray more. I've got to believe in God. And, and uh, by the way, you can do all those things without spiritual sight. Religious people do all those things. It doesn't mean that they are Christian. It doesn't mean becoming a Christian. Jesus said, he came that they which see not might see. He came that the blind might see. He came to bring new birth. He didn't come to make people nicer. He came to make people new. Change them completely. Bring sight. <clears throat> now, how does this manifest itself? You know, spiritual sight means that ideas that at one time might have seemed silly and even insane to you, now that you're saved, now that you're a Christian, these things are so amazing and so real, they change you permanently. Again, going back to Elisha's servant, he knew a lot about God. He would have been right probably about his theology. He had the right doctrine. He knew that God was around him, but he never saw it. 
He never realized it. He knew it with his head, but it didn't affect his heart. By the way, Jeremiah, mine eye hath affected my heart. We, we need that sight. And so he knew this, and it never reached here. And that's why when he saw that army around him, he's guzzling Pepto-Bismol, all stressed out, worried because of what's going to happen next. But when his eyes were opened, when he experienced the spiritual reality, when it was no longer just a concept, it changed him. It changed him completely. I know people today who believe in a God of forgiveness, yet they're tormented by shame and guilt. They realize that God is their source of strength, yet they wallow in their own weakness. They believe that God can deliver them, yet they stay bound in the cords of their sin. Because if, it's as if you know something, but you don't see it. Because if you saw it, it would change you. It would make an impact. I've heard just recently, somebody that's been coming to our church for just a short time uh, told, made this statement to me. I've heard all these things before, but now it's like the Bible's come alive. It's like stuff I knew before, and I, I've heard these things before, but now it's just so exciting to me. And what's going on there? Spiritual sight. The gift of spiritual sight. And then <clears throat> the conditions of spiritual blindness. Elisha prays and uh, the soldiers get struck with blindness. Paul's on the road to Damascus, gets struck with blindness. The men of Sodom and Gomorrah trying to attack the angels, they get struck with blindness. In the Bible, as I've said, spiritual blindness is often uh, indicated by striking someone with physical blindness. Now, what is the condition of spiritual blindness? If you're in here today, <coughs> even if you're already saved, already a Christian, there has been a time in your life when we're spiritually blind. We are blind to three things, the depth of our sin, the beauty of grace, and then we're blind to the blindness itself. First of all, you're blind to the depth of your sin. Before spiritual sight comes, you, you understand uh, sin as a violation of the rules. You really only regret sin as it messes up your life. Uh, as, it, as it bothers you and, and uh, the life that you want to live. So when spiritual sight is given to you, when your heart is regenerated by the Holy Spirit, your whole view changes. You start to see that sin is not a behavioral problem. It's a problem deeper than that. It's a condition. It's a problem of the heart. You ask a person without spiritual sight, are you a good person? What's the answer? Yeah, I'm a good person. I mean, I've done bad things, but I've done a lot more good things. A person without spiritual sight, I mean, you knock on John Q. Public's door and, and just normal people there without spiritual sight, they think themselves pretty good. Ask a person with spiritual sight, are you a good person? <laughs> no, I'm not a good person. Even the good that I do is like filthy rags in God's eyes. Spiritual sight. That's why some people, or most, I say some, that's why most people think they're good enough to go to heaven. They're not God-haters. They're not shaking their fist at God saying, I'll do it myself. They just lack spiritual sight. They're not able to see their sin as it really is. They're not able to see themselves as depraved as they really are. Without spiritual sight, you'll only really regret sin when it gets you into trouble. But with spiritual sight, you'll start to regret sin because it grieves God. First of all, we're blinded to the depth of, depth of our sin. Secondly, we're blind to the beauty of grace. These soldiers uh, thought 
remember, remember who public enemy number one was? Elisha. And here's Elisha leading them. Everybody follow the guy. Follow the voice. He's going to take us to Elisha. And here's Elisha. Come on, let's go. It's a funny story if you think about it. He's taking them right to the middle of where the army was. It's uh, comical too when you come, when they, when they do show up, the king of Israel is so excited like a kid in a candy store. I have the enemy here. Look at what it, the Bible says. It doesn't just say, shall I kill them? My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? The doubling of the Hebrew style here shows great emotional excitement. He's essentially saying, hey, Elisha, can I kill him? Can I, can I, can I, can I kill him? He's excited about having them there. Elisha then stands as their advocate. No. And you could say Elisha stands there as their savior. Does the army deserve to die? Absolutely. But here is Elisha. They're captured. They're completely helpless. And we see tremendous grace when Elisha instead prepares them a feast. They can't believe it. It changes their lives. They go off and the bands of Syria stop raiding Israel after that. The beauty of grace is not something that you can take in without the Holy Spirit. You may say, I've heard of God's grace, salvation by faith. I know that God will forgive my sin, yet you ignore it. One of my biggest frustrations in witnessing to people and giving people the gospel is when people come to the point, yes, I know I need to be saved. One day I will, or, or put, they put it off and they don't realize uh, the necessity to do it. They don't realize the verse that says, today is the day of salvation. Until the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and shows you the wonderful truth of it all, you're still blind. You're blind to your need. You're blind to the uh, richness of God's grace. People, spiritually blind people, are blind to the depth of their sin and to the beauty of grace. Thirdly, they're blind to the blindness. Now, you're listening to this message. You think, man, whew, glad I'm not spiritually blind. I hate to tell you this, but one of the ways that you know you're blind is if you think you're not, spiritually speaking. If you're here today and you do not think you suffer from any spiritual blindness at all, it's proof positive that you do. Let me explain. Have you ever noticed, by the way, the most self-centered people in the world don't think they're self-centered? Have you ever noticed the most prideful people in the world think they're humble? People are often unaware of what they have in their own life, and that's the way it works. If you say, I, can, I can't see right, I'm blind, I need God's help, that's the condition, that's the gift, and that's the sign that your sight is beginning to clear. So how is this condition healed? There's three hows very quickly. They go like this, suffering or stages, then suffering, then prayer. Uh, we see stages, first of all, because as we get spiritual sight begins to come and we recognize the depth of our sin and then the gospel of grace that brings us to Jesus Christ, we're starting to see this. But then Paul says in Ephesians 1 uh, to a group of Christians who've already reached those first two stages, he says the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of this calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What he's saying is you see enough to be saved, but your spiritual sight needs constant improving. And if you're a child of God here today and you're trying to serve God to the best of your ability, you know this is true. Our spiritual sight constantly needs to be improved. We're all spiritually nearsighted. Even the best Christians are. It's healed in stages as we go in Christ. And then there's suffering. Uh, spiritual sight 
I believe, tends to be healed most by suffering. You remember Joseph? Joseph, uh, he goes to visit his brothers who are tending their sheep. Guess where they were? I found this interesting. They're in Dothan, right where Elisha is. So the same place years apart, years earlier. Uh, but here's Joseph. He's going to visit his brothers. And uh, they, uh, they, they basically uh, uh, kidnap him. They capture him. They put him in a pit. And by the way, he wasn't delivered. There were no chariots of fire that day. He was sold into slavery. In our, to our non-spiritual sight, we would look at Joseph and say, he is in deep trouble. Elisha was in trouble, and God came through for Elisha. Joseph was in trouble, and God seemed to do nothing about it. But now, you know that's not true once you've read the whole story. You know that if Joseph had been immediately delivered, and he would not have gone through his terrible suffering, he never would have risen up. He never would have saved Egypt from famine. He never would have saved his own family. It took spiritual sight for Joseph through all those years to keep trusting in God, to keep serving God, to keep doing right because he had enough spiritual sight to know God would come through in the end. It's the truth. One of the ways out of spiritual blindness is for bad things to happen to you. The delusion of self-sufficiency is at the heart of all of our spiritual blindness. I can see best. I know best. I have the right perspective. I can handle it. That's at the heart of spiritual blindness. And you know what destroys that is suffering. Suffering will show you you've got no control, really. I mean, once illness hits you, a death in the family, once something happens that's outside of your control, you learn, I don't have this. I'm not self-sufficient. And suffering really helps to destroy the illusion and the spiritual blindness in your life. There's stages, there's suffering. Thirdly, prayer. In Ephesians 3.18, uh, again, Paul prays that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. One of the ways that our hearts will be enlightened is through prayer. When you pray in the morning, I believe your spiritual sight begins to clear. When you pray and ask God to reveal these things to you, it happens in stages. Very often it happens through the worst things that happens in our lives, but it also happens through prayer. Uh, you go back to this story. Why were these guys saved? They were doing terrible things. The king of Israel must have been upset with Elisha. What are you doing? Don't you know what they've done? How can you let them off? But Elisha says, not only are we going to let them go, we're going to prepare a feast for them before they go. And it changes them. They don't go out and pillage anymore. Now we can look at that and say, it's not fair. They deserved death. But that same grace applies to us. Centuries later, another group of soldiers are trying to capture another prophet and kill him. He was the greatest prophet. It happened in a place called Gethsemane. That prophet also knew that he was surrounded by legions of angels and chariots of fire, but he does not call them. All the people in the history of the world who are recipients of grace, are we are able to get grace because our sin was put on Jesus Christ. Jesus was executed so that we would not have to be. Jesus was plunged into darkness so we could be brought into light. Jesus took the punishment so that we can get a feast when we deserve to be executed. Oh, the mercy. So we can be saved, so we can have spiritual sight. God did all this for you. And you can have it if you just ask. 
So ask. Probably someone here today needs to pray this prayer, or somebody listening on the airs even needs to pray this prayer. Lord, for the first time in my life, open my eyes. Help me to realize what you have for me. Others, even the most mature Christians, struggling right now because you can't see what you really ought to be able to see. You need God to give you more spiritual sight. Remember, the only people that get an answer, they get spiritual sight, are the ones who admit they're blind. We need to admit it. God, when it comes to living this life, when it comes to making the right decisions, I'm blind. I don't know. You make choices for our children, for our families, for our marriages, financially, all these things. We really, uh, we're a lot more blind than we think we are. Remember when you were 16 and knew everything? Remember that? Now you look back, I was a blind fool. You're still a blind fool. Not trying to be mean, it's just the case. We're still blind. We think we know more, but without Him, we're blind fools. Oh, friend, God has so much more in store for you than you can imagine. You just have to be able to see it. And you might not be able to see it, but he wants to give it to us. Spiritual sight. He wants to give it to us. We just need to ask him for it. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. What a great story. we.